2: No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Hey guys, welcome to your beautiful day on the Gratitude Radio Network. I'm Jen Mogg, Mother of Gratitude. And I hope wherever you're going today that you find some gratitude and inspiration in your life. And today we have the great syndicate We have Neil Haley. Hello, Neil.
2: Hey, what's going on? How are you? I'm excited about our guests for sure.
3: I love it. And then my life coach, because God knows I need one, Pearl Sharenza. Hey, Pearl.
4: Hey, everybody. Hope you are having an amazing day. This is going to be a lot of fun.
3: This is going to be great. Thank you guys for being with me today. And I'd like to introduce our guest, who is pretty amazing in herself, Maureen Johnson. She's an author, and her book is Hello, Cruel Heart. Welcome, Maureen. Hi. So happy hey. to be here.
2: Hey, Maureen. How are you? And uh, so this has been crazy. You're a New York Times bestselling author, right, Maureen? Kind of give a little bit about your background before getting to this book. so people know that you've been writing for a while and stuff, for sure.
1: Yeah, I am. I am a YA author, which is young adult, and I've written... Let's see, 15, 16 novels. I've also worked collaboratively with other Y authors like John Green and Cassandra Clare. Um, I had a, with John Green and Laura Markle, had a movie out on Netflix called Let It Snow, which some people may have seen, which is a Christmas movie. Uh, But Hello, Cruel Heart is my first project with
3: Disney.
2: Awesome. All right, go, Jen. First question for Maureen.
3: Congratulations. Congratulations. I love Disney. Um, Tell us about
1: Hello, Cruel Heart. Well, Hello, Cruel Heart is the prequel to what you'll see in the upcoming uh, Disney film, Cruella, which is the origin story of Cruella de Vil, which is a little hard, right? Because she's nobody's favorite. She's not, she hasn't got a lot of redeeming qualities. You don't look at Cruella de Vil and think. Now there's someone with uh, a lot of varied interests Um, But I I got into this, Disney approached me and said, you know, we're making this Cruella film and we really like to develop her backstory as a teenager. And so what we see uh, in uh, Hello, Cruel Heart is it's 1967 London, it's swinging London. It's one of the coolest times to ever be in London. Everything's happening in terms of music and fashion and art. And in this mix is Estella, as Cruella is called, who lives with Jasper and Harris. In the lair, which is half of a bombed-out building, because at this point London is still half wrecked from World War One, and so they live in a in this amazing place that you'll get to see in the movie as well, which is a bombed-out but amazing space. And she is a fashion designer, but she's very poor. She's, they have to steal to make their make their money and survive, but she's determined to make it in the fashion world. And they, she steals cloth and she makes clothes. And she finally gets her break one day when she meets a very rich brother and sister who introduce her to the world of London society, fashion, and rock and
4: roll. And the story takes off from there.
2: All right. Dad, Pearl, your question.
4: I just, I, I, I'm so excited to see, like, more read about the book. I actually ordered it today. And then also, I can't wait to see the But what I wanted to know is what was it like to flush out like that the teenagers of such an iconic Disney villain?
1: Well, it required some thought. Um, Based this story arcs into what you see in Corella, and just for reference, the film takes place in the mid seventies. So she's in her twenties in that point and it's punk London. So I got to, I I read the script. I got to see all the assets I got to see all the creations. Of that point. And then um, I really work as that with that as the center point. And then I dialed back at, to London in 1967 and really dug down into what might influence someone who is 16 years old and is poor at that particular junction of time. Which the reason I wanted to do this is because that is one of my, since I was about 13 years old, one of my deepest, most profound obsessive interests is everything that was going on in Swinging London, everything that was going on with music, with like all of it. So I had years and years and years of just knowledge that was not good for anything else. Uh, But I was finally called upon to do the one thing that I've been prepping for my entire life. And that is this, talking about how, what an amazing time period this was and setting somebody in setting someone in the middle of it was incredibly fun.
5: I
3: love the creativity of that, because you're pulling from just a plethora of creativity that's been inside of you forever. I'm writing, so I understand. I write screenplays. Um, and, and just to have that knowledge and finally have somewhere to put it out, especially Cruella. I always liked, for some reason, I always loved 101 Dalmatians. Um, and I just thought her character was just extraordinary. Yeah, just extraordinary that they would write this is very gutsy and and you know no pun intended but this is a very gutsy thing for Disney to put on and and by the way we skin animals and that's what she wants to do and it's a kid's book (laughs) well
1: that's Jodi Smith she is an amazing writer and has always been one of my favorites especially uh, her book I Capture the Castle which is one of the incredible classics of young adult literature which was written in the 50s she is a very strange and extraordinary writer. Uh, She wrote a book called The Starlight Barking, which is about space dogs who are trying to save the planet. I mean, it's not what you expect. So I tried to always remember uh, what would Dodie Smith do because this is Dodie Smith's character.
2: And it's hilarious. Yeah, and and a lot of people don't know that backstory. And now I guess the backstory when the movie comes out, but no one really knows That character. And it's always interesting to look back to their childhood, right? Or their mid age and what kind of led them into that villain that they are today. Or anytime you look at someone's story, you have to look at their childhood, especially their teenage years in certain ways. And that's why you're that type of writer, right? Because that's a perfect time where everyone's developing and figuring out who they are.
1: It's a time of firsts. And that's, I think, what really defines YA is that you're seeing a lot of firsts happen. First loves and first heartbreaks and first experiences away from home and all the things that you have to do for the first time and the deep impression that makes on you. So it's a very rich time in life to write about, which
4: is why I do it. So talking about impressions and and experiences. So did you take any of your inspiration that you use? I loved, um, that you were you used to work like the restaurant where it was a like a horror restaurant I think I remember reading it's and a haunted then, house restaurant <laughs> yeah. yeah so and then also you filled in like you made it look like there's more employees there than what was really there so did you like take any of that inspiration and use it while you're writing the book
1: well I ha- I certainly have had a lot of, in the past when I first moved to New York uh, I moved here to go to, to become a writer and go to graduate school And I worked in theater and I wrote and I went to graduate school, which meant I was broke constantly and had to take every single job that came down the path. And uh, a lot of those were weird. And I definitely know that feeling of, you're always sort of on the lookout for another gig, another job, another way to pay the rent. And this, this story, which is Cruella trying to survive. And I mean, hers is a little more extreme. You know, she's an orphan. She lives in a bombed out lair and steals. Like, the, the, you know, this is, what's great is that Disney does a great big story. You know, you don't, you don't usually get the little ones. You get really great villains and really great heroes and really great big arcs. Um, but I got, did get to unpack a little bit of my experience. For example, as a kid, I wanted to be a writer And I just wrote all the time. That's all I did. And I I thought, I want to be a writer, but I don't know how that happens. I just, this is just something I do in my room. And that is Estella trying to make her clothes. She's like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to sit here and make these clothes. And then eventually I'm going to get over there and become a fashion designer. But how you get, make that leap from what you do at home to what you want to be is a great big question mark that I'm very familiar with.
2: I have to look back at what I was thinking at that time, you know, because I kind of gone full circle to that in certain ways. Always like when I was a kid, I always was into radio. I was always into uh, like play by play and sports and just all these different things that I ended up going a different route. And then I look at myself today and a lot of those characteristics were there. And Maureen, I think that that just that's the fascination of looking at people and their direction and journey where it might take them a long time to really get what their true inner child is.
1: Yeah. And figuring out how to take that and put it into the outside world, how to take that passion you have and do that career that you may not know. I certainly didn't know how people became writers. I was like, it was just giant question marks. I had absolutely no clue. So likewise, Writing about someone who wants to become something and has no idea how is definitely something I relate to.
2: And then I look at even what my radio journey 11 years ago to now social, social audio and general, no, understand that more. And now finally finding my passion in social audio which is really re- weird. It wasn't working as much because there's not enough back and forth in podcasting and radio as there is in social audio. And I'm like, wow, what a perfect fit. Just giving that as a, a plug in mm-hmm. some ways of we try, we do these things and they might not hit the mark and then they finally do hit the mark. And that's yeah. the weird thing about journeys. But go ahead, Jen, yeah. the next question. Hey, well,
3: I was wondering, what was the piece that you wrote or your breakout article that inspired Disney to come for you and ask for you to do this?
1: Uh, I don't write, um, I'm not a journalist, so I don't write um, pieces that often. Um, but I have been, I, you know, I've written, like I said, 15 or 16 novels. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm I, in YA, uh, pe- you know, they just approach me because of my background.
3: So it was your style of writing that they said this would be perfect? I guess so. I hope so. I mean, they just
2: they. <laughs> you're, you're the good one of you. Are you one of the go-tos, Maureen, in YA, you think? Or what would you say?
1: Well, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't often take on project. I, I usually do my own novels as opposed to taking on projects like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the what drew me to it was the period and the... I wanted to write about that period and so my agent said, you know, what do you just would you consider this one? What do you think about it? And I was like, I want to write about Lyndon in 1967. I want to do that. Give that
3: <laughs> Give that to me immediately.
1: Oh, yes, that was me.
2: Exactly. Good pearl. Next question.
4: So, I I I'm an author. I've written some just like self books about business and things like that. And so, what would you say Maureen is the biggest challenge in today's world with for YA artists and publishers? Well, uh, that's a hard one because YA is a, was
1: a widely expanded field. It, when I, I've been writing YA novels since 2004. So I've seen just how the range of the books has just, you know, just blew up. Um, so it's very competitive. At the same time, there, is, a lot more, there are a lot more editors and imprints out there that deal in YA. Uh, I think that, I'm not sure that there's anything in particular about writing for YA that's a challenge that isn't applicable to any form of publishing. If anything, right. it has, an, uh, it has a, a wide berth right now. It has a lot of, um, there's a lot of call for it it is competitive and you really do have to know your audience. You know, it's not, you have to, I would just say, read a lot of YA to get a sense of it because it's people, I think get the sense that you're somehow talking down or making a simplistic story. They're full there. There's nothing simplistic about it. The only difference between a YA novel and anything, any other novel is usually the age of the
2: protagonist. And to get a young adults, uh, attention is a lot more difficult than an adult in so many ways.
1: I think it's the other way around.
2: Really? Oh, I really? Do. Okay. I really well, do. I'm just thinking more like, you know, a TikTok or certain social media to get them interested. It's harder to get them engaged. Maybe. You, so you think it's easier in books? I, yeah.
1: I think it's the other way around. I tend to find that YA readers are voracious. They will read across genres. They will read or as adults, I think get more fixed in one area that they read. They might read only mysteries or books about submarines or books about people who kiss on a bridge or something. Um, YA readers will really, they'll go to fantasy, they'll go to mystery, they'll go to contemporary, they'll read romance and in the same breath, they'll read a uh, space opera. I, it's really astonishing. And they also give you a lot of feedback. They get in touch with you and they let you know you know, good, bad, whatever, they really engage with the work. Also, they have to read in for school a lot. So sometimes that it tends to be like a built-in thing.
3: Yeah, that yeah, is kind of like a built-in audience because they're ready for it. They're ready for what's next because they're going to have their um, everything they're going to need to do. What was your inspiration while writing Hello, Cruel Heart?
1: I I started with just the image of the time, what London would have been like. Um, because again, you know, World War II ends in 1945. So we all, I think we it's sometimes hard to remember how broken England was and how gray and how grim and how serious. And then all of a sudden, all of these young people kind of spring up like flowers in a billion colors and start wearing these extraordinary clothes and playing super loud music. And it's like, I always think of it like flowers or grass bursting out of concrete that this, really stayed gray world kind of explodes in color. And I, it's very driven by music and my love of all the music of that time. And it's one of the few periods of fashion that I know anything about because I'm not a clothes person except for them. (laughs) So um, then I just, I took everything that I'd seen was going to be created, uh, what you're gonna see in the film, which is a great story. And then, yeah, I just kind of rolled it back and tried to figure out what is just, you know, if you're an orphan and you're a pickpocket in this particular area of London and your goal is to be a fashion designer, and there's, a, there's a lot of room to play with there. It was a very big, very nice sandbox to work in.
3: I love it. I can't wait to see it. I can't it's- wait.
1: I think it's going to be I'm really
3: so good. So excited! When is it, When is this
1: coming out? When can we see this? When? How long do we have to wait? I think it, I think the date is the 28th of May. I think is when it comes out. It's something like the 28th of May.
2: So they got to read Maureen's book first before going to see the movie. That's you a, don't have like,
1: to, but hey, yeah, yeah, I, wouldn't no, no, say, I, I
4: wouldn't say don't. I
2: wouldn't I'd say, say don't. I'd say for sure. Okay, good, Pearl. Next question.
4: So Maureen, you know, you touched my heart with talking about young, young, young writers. And so for that person that might be listening to this, that was like, I want to get in. I want to start that path. What would you say to that person that's listening to us today? Where should they start? What, what, what should they be looking for within themselves? Well,
1: I think that one thing I always tell kids who say, you know, I want to get published is I always say there's two very, that writing and publishing are completely separate. That writing is a behavior, it's a thing you do, it's the thing that you make. And publishing is the business that has, that puts that thing into a box and sends it into the world. And it's got business stuff in it. It's got a lot of weird gears and moving parts. To concentrate first on making yourself as a writer and as hard as it is, take your time because the way you learn to write is by writing really badly and making a lot of mistakes that's correct process. You have to really write badly, write badly and do it boldly, just go for it. No one has ever died because of a bad piece of like, like of a bad story that you wrote down. So spend your time, write, write, don't be afraid of writing badly and don't worry so much about the publication process and to really give it time that's my major piece of advice. Cause again, it's always, right. it's often a lot of teenagers that are asking me.
2: Interesting. And it's always about doing it for the love of what you do. And then a lot of times you do it with their love for the love and keep trying to improve and become better. Someday it will work out for you. And if it doesn't, then you really don't love it as much or you find something that you're more passionate about that you're very good at. So it's just a great, it's great advice. And it's something that, uh, not just for young people, but people out there at Maureen, if you would love to be in your place, trust me, lots of authors out there, regardless if, if it wasn't YA, but meaning successful uh, as an author, best-selling author, they wish they could be there and how to do it and be published. And it's a dream of so many. And it's amazing to see, Maureen, when you agree, uh, the amount of people now writing books when they said, oh, books were going passe, forget about it. And they just exploded with writing again, which is great, I think.
1: Books have never been passe. I mean, like, that's, people say all kinds of things.
2: I know. Okay. (laughs) endeavor.
3: I need, I need my books. I need my bookcases. I need all of that.
1: Oh my goodness. Hello. Sorry. I just got, I I noticed you've been joined by somebody here. Yes.
2: That's, that's (laughs) part of the zoom for sure.
3: No, no, because I kept going, no, 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 no. So (laughs) no, no. Um, his name was Mando. But I went through all the Star Wars stuff. He's and now when I had them, Maureen, I had this complete Cruella Deville moment when they were little kittens, and I'm like, oh, no wonder she liked, you know, liked to have it for a coat because they're so soft. Oh my goodness! They wake me up every morning purring before my alarm goes off. And No, No likes to join us, otherwise he's making
2: yeah but we've had other animals in the background of the other guests too maureen so we'll, <laughs> oh my just, dog's uh, in
1: the other room she she's big and goofy and would come bounding in here and knock everything over and that's her style so. see
2: luckily i'm not having the kids and I, I, that's why i like doing zoom now because when i have my professional mic i figured out a way to turn it down and have the caller come in and no one hear it but it's like Oh my gosh, maybe you'll hear it, but yeah, it won't show up in the recording. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's that kind of craziness that we deal with all the time. We want that soundproof studio, which is, there's no real way of doing it.
1: I'm amazed that there hasn't been any barking yet. It
4: is a miracle. (laughs) So Maureen, I have a question. So where can everybody find you? What are your social media links? And, and tell us more about how they can search you out.
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter at Maureen Johnson. I'm on Instagram at Maureen Johnson books, and I'm generally online at MaureenJohnsonBooks.com.
2: And you have a podcast too. So people can do it. Yeah,
1: I do. It's called Says Who podcast, And I started it uh, four years ago with my friend, Dan Sinker, who created the magazine Punk Planet. And it um, is, uh, it's sort of a weekly digesting the news chat, uh, but it's built up into a very nice community of uh regular listeners um that uh, what i find really fascinating is sometimes you make something and then a community builds and they all make friends with each other and they start facebook pages and they do projects together so it's the magic of social media sometimes
2: yeah it's finding your community and rolling through that community finding your tribe and it's sometimes finding that tribe is a very interesting thing because they have to create it to the way that it You speak to your people and once you find them and sometimes you can create them, yet they really aren't your tribe. And you find (laughs) that out later on. It's 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 a process. It really is this. All right, Jen. I know you have two questions for Maureen. First one is the gratitude moment, then send us off. So go ahead.
3: Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. And thank you, Pearl and Neil, for being here with us today, as well as you guys. You know, there is one question I always ask everyone that comes on the show. Mm -hmm. And that is, could you just give us one gratitude moment that brought you through this process with your book?
1: Well, I wrote it during the pandemic. So there was a lot of gratitude. Uh, I I live in New York City so it was written during the worst of the time here when it was really when we were really like kind of genuinely barricaded inside it was even dangerous to go in the hall um so I was very thankful just to sort of be safe and be able to do this for a job I mean it, it was very fundamental and um so this is a book I was I was writing from the safety of home and I was like thank you for the safe home thank you thank you for everyone who keeps us safe this is that I mean yes. it was a very fundamental thing
3: that is beautiful thank you from no no and I
1: little cat butt in there sorry little yeah oh there's the tail I see,
2: see Maureen you're showing some of the comedy that you have in you as well right ready to go uh on stage for comedy always, yeah, always. all
1: right as soon as we reopen I'm out there
2: Uh, oh so you're convenient too no no
1: no no i'm much too lazy to stand up all that time
2: (laughs) all right go ahead jen and uh close us out please
3: all right all right well from no no and i um (laughs) i wanted to okay we
2: have jen that's not yet just don't keep going
3: okay thank you thank you thank you we will have to do some stuff with that um so thank you maureen for being with us today we have had such an amazing pleasure of sitting down with Maureen Johnson and her book, Hello Cruel Heart. And the, that goes with the Disney live action film Cruella.
1: Sorry, I'm entranced by No No.
3: <laughs> no No. No No is hilarious. Um, and we're, for the rest of you, you know, it's my cat, No No. Um, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing with us the gratitude moment. And, during the pandemic and how this was inspirational and it kept you safe and it yeah. kept you sound. Yeah. And you were able to to write about Cruella and giving another another side of her that we haven't seen. And I, she's one of my favorite villains. She's Truth a good villain. She's a good yeah. You know what, my, my hair started turning white on one side. I was like, whoop. My yeah, hair you, you have a little bit like
1: the darkness. Yeah, go for it. Just go the yeah. whole way, yeah. black and white.
3: I love Cruella. 101 cats. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Neil, for being with us. Thank you, Pearl, for being with us. And wherever you go, I hope that you have gratitude with you and know that you are loved, you are blessed, and you are sacred. Have a good day.
2: Oh, my God. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 through education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses html 5 We're back to Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program author Christopher James. I'm really excited. The name of his book is The Adventures of Peanuthead. Christopher, how are you? Thanks for stopping by.
5: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having
2: me. Absolutely. I wanted to kind of just delve into, did you always think you want to be an author? You know, when we get in these processes and we figure out writing, is writing your thing or just did you just say someday, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and write a book, kind of tell us that story?
5: Uh, quite honestly, it was a little bit of both. Um, I've always been a, a fan of poetry and and, and things like that, um, but I never really considered myself to be a writer until uh, I decided just to just kind of put myself out there and uh, take a leap of faith. So, there's a little bit of both.
2: So, tell me a little bit about your background.
5: Absolutely. So, originally, I'm a, uh, born and raised from Cleveland, Ohio. So, I have to say, go Browns!
2: And nah, then, uh, wrong uh, wrong place <laughs> Pittsburgh come on now Christopher good way to <laughs> go ahead
5: but um but yeah so you know I like to kind of describe myself as a um a, a urban farmer uh chef and uh and now I guess I have to say I'm a writer as well um you no know, formerly uh, my, my career or trade I like to say is in education and so you know I worked my way from from the you know, through all levels of education from k to 12 now i'm uh, in higher ed and then i've also had some some time to work in the community and and a uh, non-profit so throughout all, all of that i've always kind of been working with youth and uh, you know writing the children's books and kind of telling their story was just something that i you know i always considered a fantasy and then uh now i'm just, I'm trying to just go ahead and say hey let's let's uh take a look at
2: faith and see what happens so why do you think education is such an important part of your life sir
5: uh, well, it starts with my grandmother. My grandmother, I, I affectionately call Nana, uh, she she worked in a, in a library, and uh, she raised three children who are all educators. And so, you know, I think that bug just kind of got passed down to me. I've always had a, a way with kids and something about making sure that they learn how to better themselves and also better their community. It's something that always kind of stuck with me. I guess it's been instilled uh, throughout, throughout my bloodline, I guess.
2: No, absolutely. I, I think that that's the uh the, the thing that you it's it when you feel that you see the importance of education, it just absolutely blows you away. You know, absolutely. and it's like it's something that you know. So how did you come up with the title of the of, of your book?
5: Sure. So the adventures of peanut head is um is something that my dad affectionately called me all throughout my life. So uh although you know growing up I was always called peanut head. And so now I have two kids and um I called them peanut head and so it was it was just kind of cool to say, hey, you know what, let me just kind of embody that whole persona and try to uh, tell stories of kids that I've worked with, kids that I've seen and things like that, tell their stories through to, uh, to this moniker. So I think it was something that would be fun.
2: And it sounds like when you talk about it, it's not, it's a, you took this kind of story from the kids you worked with and your current, and your kids, right? Kind of a mixture Absolutely. of both, kind of explain that to us.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, you know, working, working, especially in education with youth, uh, every, no, no day is the same. And that's the same thing speaking as a as a father and a husband. Uh, every day is is going to be full of surprises. And so, um, I think it's it's cool to kind of share those stories and, and those different uh, paths that that our kids walk. And um, hopefully, that you know, our, our kids who read the book and especially parents who read the book can uh, can can learn some of uh, the basic principles and things that come out of. It.
2: And those themes—how important is a children's book that you have to get some sort of theme after you're finished reading it?
5: I mean, it's very important, Um, and especially with with this book. Uh, this book is uh, "The ambitious of peanut Head, Growing in Groceries. so um, you know it's something that's very important where we want to you know, teach about teach kids how to garden, teach kids the importance of having a sustainable garden, and also you know being able to uh, have sustainable food and, and and inspire healthy healthy living. So. Um, so, you know, it's, just, it's just been something that's, that I've always kind of worked with, you know, working running a nonprofit. Um, those kids, you know, we were able to write a grant where those kids were actually able to do their own community garden. And so a lot of this book is kind of based off of that, of, of, of those kids actually seeing the fruits of their labor from, you know, sowing the seed, putting the seed in the ground to actually growing it and saying, hey, mom, dad, let's go cook this at home. I want to see what it tastes like. And so just seeing that entire cycle, that's a, that's definitely the inspiration for this book.
2: That seems like it's huge. That definitely, and this, I think it's such a great topic for sure. And uh, you talk about, you know, involving the stories of your kids and the kids you've taught. But with this topic alone, what what motivates you? I, I think it's a mission of yours, right? That part. The book is not Absolutely. just about you know stories to in- entertain, but also it's to inform. What makes you yes. want to be on this mission?
5: Um, I just think it's important, you know, when you when you live in the community, it's important to build within that community, right? So, you know, if you want to put in, you know, and and, and receive something back, I think it's always important that you you try to to uh, instill knowledge and try to give knowledge. That's, I guess that kind of goes back to that educator side, right? So, um, you know, being able to, to teach kids how to grow their own food, how to build sustainable lifestyles, um, is very important, and, and and I have to say, you know, working. In education, I worked in urban education and I had a nonprofit that was in a low income poverty. And those areas are food deserts. So not only do those kids in those neighborhoods don't have access to healthy foods, they don't even know necessarily how to grow their healthy food or where their food comes from. So, you know, trying to give that education, uh, I think will, will spark a, a major difference in, in lifestyle. So.
2: No, I think so because it's such a, such an important thing. And, um, Are you going to be reading, and now, again, with the, uh, again, COVID's starting to lift a bit, are you hoping to make some either virtual visits to classrooms or classrooms to read this book?
5: Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, There's different things that we're doing throughout the community that we want to especially connect with fathers fathers um um you know they always uh, don't necessarily get a a a good rap but also there's a lot of resources that a lot of fathers are not aware of so that's definitely something that we plan to do uh do a nice father's event where you know fathers could also uh uh, be given resources to different things throughout their community that that can also just assist them especially after after the uh, uh pandemic and things like that so
2: exactly and uh in the process of getting to do it so i understand it's again you're taking pre-orders now may 4th the book launches so what do you have entailed so people right now listening could go ahead and pre-order the book right now right
5: Absolutely. So they just have to go to peanutheadbook.com. Again, that's com. And there they, they can see a nice little preview of the book. Um, they could definitely uh, place their pre orders. We're telling our customers, and they'll you know kind of receive this in the email as well if they uh, decide to support us, that uh, all orders will go out May 4th. And so we're expecting all shipping to go out May 4th. And uh, and yeah, so we're, we're expecting a nice quality product and hopefully a lot of families to learn. Um, and one other, one other thing, one other thing, um, for the first 50 orders, we're also given a, a, a free gift as well with uh, with these purchase. So, you no, know, just something that, that exciting and hopefully can uh, you know, uh, build a lot of families to, you know, uh, embark and grow a healthy, healthier lifestyle.
2: And again, you are uh, self-published with Inspiring Dreams and you got to really, publishing, you got to really love their mission, don't you? What they're trying to do in the stories. Mm-hmm.
5: Absolutely. Now, I never really thought of going the self-publishing route But no, something that you know that this book has taught me that I hope uh, it it teaches other kids is that is one thing is patience, and the other thing is hard work. And uh, you know, if you want to go see fruit of your labor, you have to put in that hard work, and you have to appreciate that work. Because that's where the love comes in. And then once you have hard work and love, that's the one thing that can kind of sow that seed. And then that's where you see growth. So this has been a process. And I'm very grateful that Inspiring Dreams has been there to kind of guide me along this way. Because it's been a learning process and I learned a lot. And it's one of those things, though. With gardening, you're going to learn. And you're going to have to have patience. the Same thing with self-publishing. You're going to have to learn and have patience as they put in that work. And then, but ultimately, you know, you'll receive and and find that love in doing it. So that's kind of where that writing comes in, you know, finding that love and and doing the writing as opposed to just reading it. So.
2: The CEO of the company, Ashique Lacey, just has a tremendous story and a tremendous mission of what she's doing. And you think about, ultimately, the team she's putting around her is tremendous. And it's just, again, a great, like another great book because I just think that it's just something different. I don't see a lot of these on the bookshelves, especially for children's Absolutely. books. So, everyone, May 4th, then go to the website. Give us one more time the website.
5: Yes, uh, peanutheadbook.com. Again, peanutheadbook.com.
2: Dot com. Absolutely, and last thing I didn't mention. is, So this, you you said poetry. So is this in a poetry form? This book. You said you're... not
5: necessarily, not necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, that's something that we definitely will look into the future. Um, but right now, this is more so just kind of telling the story of those you know, a I see. Kyler so you're looking
2: to, a book of a, po- a book of poems coming soon too. So you're you're sure. not done Absolutely. writing. You're not done writing. No, yet. no,
5: the... I'm not. this is this is a book that I I, I think I'm gonna have to uh, hold on to for a little while. Especially exactly. with two kids coming up So yeah <laughs> Exactly Stay busy
2: Keep writing Keep promoting I, I really appreciate you coming on And the, it's an inspiring dream Your story And I, I know why That The perfect place You're fitting in with So thanks again for calling I appreciate it Hey Not
5: a problem Thank you for having me And, and again uh, This adventures of Tina here Growing groceries
2: Alright take care uh, You're listening to Neil Haley's show and we'll be back in just a moment
1: Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more.
3: Download celebrity slots today.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom from the Addiction Truth Just Below the Surface in the Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? What's going on?
0: I'm doing pretty good today, uh, Neil. I've got a um, program today that the people that are listening have probably have no idea about, but because we do truth just below the surface, I'm putting out some truth here for you. And I think that you'll find it to be relatively mind blowing. So uh, in what is probably becoming the most censored story, in the history of the United States, the CDC has reported this week that 2,794, almost 3,000 deaths have been reported to VAERS as of the 5th of April. Now, what is VAERS? VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It's a US government funded database Attracts injuries and deaths caused by vaccines, and is following uh, the injection of the three experimental, non-FDA-approved COVID-19 injections that you'll all have been listening to uh, forever. Now, to put this into perspective, there were a total of uh, 345 deaths recorded by Bayers, following vaccines for all of uh, last year, 2020. From 2010 through the end of 2020, an entire decade spanning 11 years, there were a total of 2,588 deaths recorded following vaccines. So... Deaths following vaccines during the first three months of 2021 have now exceeded deaths for the past 11 years. Now, how is this not headline news? What does the CDC say about all these deaths following COVID-19 injections? The CDC says, a review of available clinical information Including death certificates, autopsies, and medical records revealed no evidence that vaccination contributed to the patient's deaths. Really? You know this is unbelievable, but we've got more deaths in um, in uh, the uh, the time that they're putting in these new uh, uh, mRNA gene therapy shots than the for the last 11 years okay so you need to follow that along follow that along on my podcast and see continuing what happens and the podcast is com, spelling libson l-i-b as in boy s-y-n and no caps, no uh, spaces. Now I have a second uh, thing to tell you about today. And this uh, I got yesterday, it is now um, what no doubt will be labeled a conspiracy theory by the organizations that are promoting mass mRNA injections of the entire population And we have a scenario for you to consider. And here it is. And so the cookie starts to crumble, the masks begin to fall off. The Chinese biological laboratory in Wuhan is owned by Galaxo Smith Klein, which accidentally owns Pfizer, the one who makes the vaccine against the virus, which was accidentally started at the Wuhan Biological Laboratory and was accidentally funded by Dr. Fossey, who accidentally promotes the vaccine. GalactosmithKline is accidentally managed by the finance division of BlackRock, which accidentally manages the finances of the Open Foundation Company, which is a George Soros Foundation which accidentally manages the French AXA. Now, Soros accidentally owns the German company Winterthur, which accidentally built a Chinese laboratory in Wuhan and was bought by the German Alliance, which coincidentally has Vanguard as a shareholder, who coincidentally is a shareholder of BlackRock which coincidentally controls central banks and manages about a third of the global investment capital. BlackRock, which also coincidentally, a major stockholder of Microsoft owned by Bill Gates, who coincidentally is a shareholder of Pfizer, which remember, sells a miracle vaccine and coincidentally, is now the first sponsor of the World Health Organization. And putting all that into perspective, you can now understand how a dead bat sold in a wet market in China has infected the entire planet. For more truths below the surface, visit my free podcast, as I told you, www.freedomfromaddiction dot libson.com that's l-i-b as in boy s-y-n no caps and no spices and i will keep informing you of the truth just below the surface
2: appreciate it oh my gosh wow breaking news for sure appreciate it win and we'll take care okay all right you listen to neil haley show and truth dress below the surface we'll be back in just a moment.